Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm joined on the podcast today by BZ Marsh, author of the new novel, Queen of Thieves. The Sun newspaper wrote about the novel, a colorful tale of love, lust, making good, and revenge. BZ, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Jeff. I'm really thrilled to be here. Wonderful. If someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, Queen of Thieves, how would you describe the novel? Well, I'd say it's a hopefully gripping and exciting um, story, historical fiction about a ring of daring and determined female thieves um, set immediately post-World War II in London. So it's revenge, it's love, it's daring, and it's crime. And it's (laughs) women gangsters. It's female gangsters for once. That's wonderful. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing Queen of Thieves? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a two-strand story, really. My grandmother, um, who was born in 1905, used to work as a barmaid in Soho in London uh, in the 1930s. And she actually was helping to raise me during the 1970s. And she used to tell me these stories about this wild group of females who used to go running through the stores stuffing fur coats into their knickers. And I thought at the time this was like a, I don't know, a silly fairy story, something to make me laugh. And then many years later, um, I started out having been a journalist. Um, I started as an author and I was asked to interview a gangster to write about his life. And um, it turned out that his sister had been a member of this actual gang, the 40 Thieves. So the two things kind of collided, and I thought, well, hang on, there's this family story that my gran always used to tell me about this London history, and here's the reality, and I got to meet the relatives, the descendants of this gang member. She was called Eva, and that really, for me, just sparked it, and I just thought, I've got to write about this. It, it took some time, um, a few years down the line, to sort of bring it all together because there was a lot of research, but that for me was the spark. So I guess it had been there from childhood, only just not knowing. Just one of those family <laughs> stories. Allegedly. That's a great story. Yeah. Well, well, you mentioned the research. What kind of research did you do as you were planning the novel? Well, I actually went out with uh, and kind of went, they offered to take me shopping, some of the granddaughters of the original <laughs> gang. And I, I'm embarrassed to say some of them were still kind of you know, were using those thieving methods. They, I, I never saw them do it, but they, they let me into their secrets. So I actually took girls out for lunch, um, you know, went around the shops with them. They explained how their grands and great aunts would have rolled furs on the hanger, how they would have, you know, done the distraction techniques. So I had that kind of amazing firsthand insight. And then I'm a national newspaper journalist, so I used to work um, on the staff of the Daily Mail, uh, and the, the Telegraph newspaper over here. So I've been trained to do a lot of kind of historical research. So I, I started looking at the family trees of the women. I started to look at where they'd lived. I used the National Archives and went into police files, which was amazing because I found police photographs, mugshots of the girls <laughs> which from the 20s and 30s, which was incredible. I mean, to actually see them, they were like, caught and they were wearing the fur coats that they'd been you know stealing so I got a kind of I felt like I got almost close enough to touch to touch these girls through history do you know what I mean it was yes it was an amazing 
I love the research. I, I, you know, some people find research boring, but for me, I think it hopefully helps the novel to feel really real. Like I wanted to take you back in time to post-war London, you know, 1947, 1948, um, when it was really kind of, you know, pretty poor, pretty desperate after the war. And I really wanted to be able to transport the reader there. So I think that research was quite important. Yeah. That's great. Can you tell us about your initial writing journey that led you to making the shift from writing journalism to writing fiction? Yeah, well, basically motherhood. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'd I'd always known, I'd done um, an English and French literature degree yeah, a joint honours degree over here uh, in England at Leeds University. And so I was quite academic, I think, um, as a student in my late teens, early 20s. But I always knew I wanted to be a journalist and it was like an itch I couldn't help but scratch. So I started off on like the student newspaper and then regional newspapers. That was my first job. And then I was um, picked up by the Daily Mail, which is, you know, an amazing newspaper to work for. And I was there for many, many years, like a decade, basically, um, on the staff doing like health reporting investigations, hard news, but often with like a kind of female, um, you know, focus. So it was about mm-hmm. women's health and things like that. And then it was just having children. I obviously took a kind of career break. So I had um, my two sons um, and I was kind of freelancing here and there. And I think it was something to do with having kids and thinking you've been through something when you have kids, you're tired. I was trying to find a job that was going to fit around raising the children and being at home as much as I could. And I think from then it was like, well, that dream that I'd had maybe when I was much younger that I would one day write a book, I thought, well, life isn't a dress rehearsal actually. Um, I'm watching my children grow up here. I think I could give this a go. And so that was kind of how it started. But I did not start out, Jeff, writing historical fiction. Not at all. I wrote something completely different. <laughs> I'm a bit embarrassed about it now, actually. <laughs> it was a it was a it was a kind of romantic, slightly saucy, bit sexy, <laughs> romantic, chiclet type thing. <laughs> and um I mean, it got, you know, it did get published, actually. Um, well, Chicklet it, was big at the time. Yeah, it was really big. I mean, this was like 2012, 13, 14. I wrote a kind of like if Bridget Jones had been a mom of two, like struggling <laughs> and trying. I was writing about a woman trying to juggle a family and a career. I mean, it feels slightly autobiographical. <laughs> and that's why I'm laughing about it. It's a bit embarrassing. Um, so that was the kind of start. Uh, and then I always knew that I was going to write sort of more historical fiction stuff. One thing led to another. And I had this history, as I said, about my gran um, being in London, growing up in the 1930s. And then her family were like laundresses, really poor, dirt poor in the slums of London. And that actually provided the 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 framework, I suppose, for, um, you know, my earlier book. So um, that was the kind of start of it really for me. Uh, and that was kind of how I ended up in the historical fiction area and still writing about women though, interestingly, and women's experiences of being a mother, but all at different points of in history, you know, sure. family life, that kind of thing, motherhood, 
uh, struggle. And women did struggle a lot more back then, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the research. What was your writing process when you were working on Queen of Thieves? Are you someone who does a lot of outlining and plotting? Or did you do the research and kind of have the idea in your head and kind of dive in? How does yeah. that work for you? Well, I think I had like, you know, I had been working on the research. I'd been like looking at ancestry and, as I said, looking at these police files and, and newspaper reports for years. I mean, I had like a file of stuff, um, but that wasn't a plot. Um, so I think I sort of started with a general idea, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end. And actually, I do do that with all my books. I know, I think, right, okay, there's this main character, then there's this subplot. But I don't generally write it all out. I kind of set off on the journey knowing roughly where I'm headed with my rucksack on my back. And <laughs> the characters kind of take me places. Um, I mean, I did, you know, it's really interesting. I, when people talk about plotting it all out, I, I, my husband would agree with this. I never do. I like, I'll... I'll just let the characters kind of, I know where roughly where I'm going and then things will kind of, I don't know, emerge as I'm going along and I'm knitting in there. Like, you know, if you're writing in the late forties after the war, you've obviously got some kind of way markers from a historical point of view, certain things happen. So that's always easier because you can think, oh, I know this will happen, that'll happen. And you know, this big world event will happen, like there'll be a coronation, you know, the king died, the queen was crowned, um, or the war ended, or I don't know, Churchill gave a speech, or something happened, um, which kind of helps. But I feel it is a kind of, oh, I hate this word, organic process. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's quite stressful. Usually halfway through, I'll say to my husband over a drink, you know, oh, gosh, I don't know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know quite how it's going to end. And he says, oh, you say this every time. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. Well, well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Okay. Well, I think number one, like never give up. Um, you know, don't beat yourself up if you can't write a thousand words a day or some of these things they, they sort of say, oh, you know, I've got to do this. I must do that chapter. I must complete this much of my book. I think kind of fake targets are not your friend. Um, I think you also need to research the market quite carefully and look at like the length of the novel that you're going to produce. It's pointless producing 200,000 words because no literary agent is really going to have the time to look at that. So, you know, the commercial novel for women's fiction, which is where I write, you're looking at 80 to 100,000. So, you know, um, and maybe like, I don't know, seek feedback, whether you've got a writer's group or if you're lucky enough to get the attention of a literary agent, if they offer you criticism of your work and writers need to understand that everybody's going to criticize your work, particularly, you know, those first novels and when you're learning your craft, you, you need to kind of take on board um, what's being given to you there. The big one for me is kill your darlings, you know, like kill off sometimes the editor will say or a literary agent will say, well, I just dislike that bit or that character. And you think I'm so attached to it. If you're so attached to it, really, it should probably go. If, <laughs> if they're saying <laughs> you have to be prepared 
to kill your darlings uh, occasionally. I had that with a, a very well-known book of mine called Keeping My Sister's Secrets, which actually did very well internationally and in this country. And there was some scene I'd written and the editor was like, I hate that scene. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to like argue back and go, no, I love that scene. You're wrong. And ultimately, actually, I just said, actually, fair enough. I'll get rid of it. And it made no difference at all to me in the end. And it may have helped the sales of the book. So you have to, yeah, realize that sometimes if you're writing something and you put yourself into it, obviously you're going to love it. You're going to love your characters. You're going to love the plot, the, the prose, the scenes. It's there to be worked upon by experts in the industry who really are commercial and who know um, maybe how to knock your book into shape or how to offer you that bit of advice that could just make the difference between you getting a, a deal and getting published and not. So, you know, I hope that's not a very long-winded answer, but it's basically about just try and be easy to work with um, and open to criticism, uh, I think. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sure. Mm -hmm. So are you working on a new novel now? Well, I've just written um, the prequel to Queen of Thieves. So HarperCollins um, is um, in America and Canada, has bought um, the rights to Queen of Clubs, which is out here, which is the sequel, which is like 19, late 50s. And now, and so that's done. And I've just done the first draft of Queen of Diamonds, Um we're running out of things, aren't we? I'd love to do Queen of Hearts <laughs> next, which is set really excitingly for me in the 1920s, um, which is really about how Alice Diamond, the Queen of Thieves, the main character, brings her gang together. Like we, when we meet her in the late 40s in Queen of Thieves, she's already established as the queen. She's kind of this figure like not to be messed with, um, really powerful, bit scary, brutal, uh, violent, daring. And what I wanted to show the reader in this new novel that I've just finished the first draft of, Queen of Diamonds, is 
how she became that person and what happened to her along the way. And was she always that tough? And I think the answer is no, she was not always that tough. And she probably went through quite a lot of things, um, which hopefully will make an equally gripping and entertaining story for people. <laughs> well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, God, I hate that question. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Um, okay. Why do you hate it? <laughs> well, because like I sometimes I read like really weird stuff. Like I'll go back to reading, uh, I don't know, like Wuthering Heights, Emily Bronte. I've probably read that about 50 times. Rebecca, <laughs> Daphne du Maurier. But actually – um, I read, uh, I was lucky enough to get a review copy of um, uh, Annie Lyon's book. She's an author over here. And it's called the, I think it's the Air Raid Book Club. So again, it was like set in World War II. Um, and it's all about a kind of, it's a really moving story actually about um, a Jewish refugee girl and a woman who runs a bookstore, um, it, which which gets bombed in London um, and how they kind of come together through during the war, you know, that the, the refugee doesn't quite fit into the family to start with. And it, it's about their journey. And again, that sort of hardship, um, adversity, um, young women and a young woman and an older woman and sort of, you know, really thrown together by war. Uh, so that for me was quite a really refreshing uh, read that was lovely. Um, and, oh, goodness me. I mean, I've been reading a lot of – I'm looking at doing some more World War II books. So I've been reading a load of historical sources about all sorts of stuff to do with World War II and women. I mean, you know, endless things from newspaper articles. and I mean, they're not really novels. That's what I mean when I get a bit mm -hmm. embarrassed about it. It's like <laughs> I might be reading – I don't know, some website about weaponry in World War II or <laughs> some <laughs> random thing. It's amazing, though, Jeff, when you get going on the research, you kind of, yeah. you might go down like a wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> and now Somewhere. with the internet, it's so, it's right there at your fingertips. Yeah, like the, a lot of the National Archives and things are online. And I, I enjoy, you know, that we've got this thing called the Imperial War Museum over here in England, which is I've amazing. I've actually been there. Have you? Yes, I yes. like it. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have loads of stuff online. I mean, stuff about people's stories during the Blitz, um, all different things about, you know, how it was life in wartime. And as a writer of historical fiction, that's amazing because, you could, you know, you need to sometimes see what a ration card looks like or, you know, your gas mask box or what what an air raid shelter looks like What if you're going to write about these things. Um I don't want to be the writer that gets those details wrong. So I think you have to do a lot of research in whatever era, if you're doing historical fiction, whatever era you're writing in, you've got to be quite thorough, haven't you? I mean, I do, do you feel that? I, sure, I, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's like if you if someone gets it like really wrong, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb and readers are quite sophisticated and, um, you know, they will tell you, if something doesn't add up or they're confused by something. And if it's in print, it's like, oh, no, that's a disaster. So I try not to make those kind of mistakes because <laughs> I think my nan would never forgive me. You know, my mother was a Blitz baby born in London during the Blitz. My nan lived through the Second World War, um, and as did many of my great aunts and aunts. And 
I just don't want to kind of get that wrong for them. Sure. Yeah. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I have a website. Um, it's bzmarsh.com. And um, I'm on Instagram as I think I'm at bzmarsh. I'm also on Facebook as bzmarsh author. Uh, but my website um, has pretty much all my books on there. And I try to keep it updated with like, it's got some background articles I did on the on the 40 Thieves, the Queen of Thieves, which I wrote for the Daily Mail and the Daily Express. Um, so there's some good sort of historical deep diving research if people want to kind of read in a bit more. There's some good background stuff on the website, um, particularly to do with Queen of Thieves, um, which if anyone wants to kind of, you know, have a look, I'd be delighted. That's wonderful. Well, again, we've been speaking to best-selling writer BZ Marsh, author of the new novel, Queen of Thieves. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And BZ, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thank you, Jeff. That's amazing. Have a great day. Wonderful. The sleek sable wrap feels so sumptuous between my fingers. I simply can't resist it. The fur is heavenly and soft. It's exactly what I'm looking for. The whole street is going to be doled up to the nines for the coronation party, and I don't want to disappoint because I'm royalty too. Queen of my manor, that is. The minute the shop assistant's back is turned, I snatch it from the rail and begin to roll it quickly into a tight furry bundle. I yank open the baggy waistband of my skirt and shove the wrap down the leg of my knickers. They're voluminous, real passion killers, with elastic at each knee, designed with one purpose in mind. Going shopping. Clouting, we call it, and I'm the best in the West End of London, stepping away from that clothes rail as if I haven't a care in the world. It hasn't always been this easy. I've had my fair share of close shaves, especially in the early days when I was learning my craft. Even now, the thrill of stealing mingles with a fear of being tumbled by the shop staff, which makes my hands clammy. Being a thief wasn't the career I had in mind when I was growing up, but if there's one thing I've learnt, it's that you never know the way your life is going to turn out. By the time I left school, I'd never even pinched so much as a sherbet lemon from the pick-and-mix at Woolworths. All that changed after we won the war. Victory tasted sweet, but as soon as I found out, it couldn't stop the hunger pangs. Beating Hitler was one thing, but Britain was broke. Rationing got worse, and before you knew it, most folks were taking a bit of crooked just to make life more bearable. It was all well and good for politicians to tell us not to grumble, but they never went short, did they? Wherever you looked, there were bomb craters and piles of rubble. Weeds and wild flowers sprung up among the ruins, and excited kids claimed bomb sites as their playgrounds, no matter how many times their mums told them not to. Life went on, but there was little or no money to rebuild. In London, battered by war but bursting with people hungry for some fun and what little luxuries they could afford, the black marketeers and their bosses saw a golden opportunity. After all, gangland was a man's world. 
That's what they thought. But us women, well, we knew different. This is our story. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.